Hello and welcome to Eurectus Agri-Food Podcast. I'm Julia Dan. I'm Gerardo Fortuna. And I'm Natasha Foot. And here's your weekly update on all things agriculture and food in the EU from Eurectus Agri-Food News Team. This week, the fertilizers communication, cap derogation failures, and all you need to know on the Dutch farmers' protests. So hello and welcome back to another episode of the Euractive Agri-Food Brief Podcast. Hello, um, hello. Hello, hello. That was a very formal very formal introduction today. Don't yeah, you're so <laughs> Good day. I know, I know. It's the full name. It's like it's like when your parents full name you, like you've been in trouble. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, this week we're going to kick off the podcast talking about this big hoo-ha this week over a fertilizer's communication, which doesn't sound very necessarily interesting, but it is. Because, of course, the sector, the fertilizers, everything this year with fertilizers has been problems on all ends because there's been issues of supply with the sanctions to Belarus there's been issues of prices mainly pushed by you know the energy prices which fertilizer sectors intimately linked with and so there's been a real you know it's been a real crisis this year in of fertilizers and many stakeholders have been calling for an EU-wide fertilizers strategy now did we get that this week Gerardo? Well, yeah, I mean, um, that's actually the issue because... It's the crux of the yeah, issue. Here, yeah, we spoke to... Classic, it's complicated. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, we spoke to a lot of stakeholders uh, immediately after the announcement of this uh, communication. Which was where? Which was where? In Strasbourg. Mm-hmm. It's like a quiz. No, no, I'm just uh, okay. just giving the context, giving the context. Okay, okay. It was, we a, we it was on Thursday. It was last Thursday. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, no, um, out of the joke. Uh, yeah, the issue is that everyone, no, I mean, most of them, uh, of the stakeholders that we contacted uh, to, contact to do our coverage, uh, got another thing that there's going to be a strategy. Mm, which meant everyone was very excited. Yes, yeah. the commissioner, the agriculture commissioner, Janusz Wojciechowski, is committed to a fertilizer strategy. They're welcoming it, having a party. What does strategy mean apart from the party? Um, strategy means uh, actions, but also money. Mm-hmm. And uh, apparently there's nothing like that. Like, I mean... Um, At least not yet. Not yet. Mm. Yeah. Uh, because we contacted the commission and the commission uh, were quite uh, firm in in uh, specifying that uh, it's not going to be a strategy. It's going to be a communication on the um, current situation of fertilizer, uh, addressing the issue, for instance, on how to make the EU fertilizer industry less externally dependent mm-hmm. from third countries. Russia, basically, but also from from uh, you know the the volatility of the markets, mm. as well as how to make EU farmers less dependent on fertilizer, which is one of the main scope of the farm to fork strategy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but doesn't mean that this uh, will imply some uh, material action. It was it was such a a lesson in EU jargon for me because I was getting confused looking at this. Is it a strategy? Is it communication? The way I boiled it down was that a strategy is a communication, but a communication is not a strategy. And there's a lesson in some beautiful Brussels jargon for you. Almost philosophical, I'd say. Hmm. To, to be fair, there's also another interesting aspect that was mentioned by Wojciechowski in his, in his um, speech, 
uh, before the MEPs when he um, said that the communication will also offer a chance to assess whether proper attention has been paid to the uptake of precision farming, proper rational uh, planning of fertilizer use, and incentivizing the, the biological alternatives in the Common Agricultural Policy Strategic Plan. So it's uh, already <laughs> a reassessment of uh, a reassessment of the cow. Like, I mean, the, some of them are not yet approved. Yeah, we haven't even got them all approved yet. <laughs> and we're already talking about how they're going to improve them for the for the for yearly the, review. They have this annual review of these cap strategic plans. And he's already saying what we'll do, what we'll put into the next one. Yeah, so. the, you remember last week we, we were uh, speaking about uh, the, we were talking about the fact that uh, we're already discussing the next program of the Common Agricultural Policy from Ooh, 2027. Oh my God. <laughs> so now we're, I don't think I can cope with it just yet, to be honest. Now we're discussing how to uh, recalibrate the national strategic plans that are not yet approved. This is. I mean, to be honest, it also seems a bit like member states are turning to the EU to help solve this issue, and Wojciechowski uh, is going back and saying, "Well, let's look at what you guys are doing to the member yeah. states." Uh, the, the, the today is a lesson on the EU policy making. <laughs> <laughs> really the fertilizer, you know, when you analyze the situation through the lens, uh, in this case, the lens of fertilizer and. Uh, communication mm-hmm. uh, not strategy communication not strategy but there was uh, there were also other interesting aspe- uh, things that happened this week mm, one of which Yulia reported on yeah Yulia what, what were you reporting on tell us a little bit so some of you might heard it before we've also reported before in this um, regular agricultural outlook that the short term agricultural outlook that the commission publishes every few months and This outlook usually looks quite boring from the outside. You know, it's full of numbers, statistics, uh, looks a bit technical. But actually, once you dive in, there's usually something juicy and something meaty in there. And this time, uh, indeed, there was. Because this outlook actually revealed that the relaxation of green measures that um, some of you might remember this year, the commission allowed member states to relax some of the green measures inside the cap in order to deal with the impact of the Ukraine war. So it reveals that this relaxation of green measures actually hasn't had any impact on uh, the production of grain, which was supposed to be the whole point of them. Da, da, da. Surprise. That's quite that's quite a conclusion there, <laughs> because they, these derogations that you were mentioning were so controversial at the time. I mean, you know, so many NGOs and green campaign groups were lambasting this decision and even within the commission, because even within the we know that uh, one commissioner that we we will not mention. I'm joking. Uh, the vice president of the commission, Franz mm. Timmermans, uh, was quite against this uh, provision. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, and in the end, it was approved uh, in July, if I remember correctly. Mm. And the fact that it now amounted to nothing, yeah, essentially. Because it hasn't helped increase the yields, but it has decreased the environmental, uh, you know. Yeah, it's measures. both it's both production, but also the area covered by cereal crops. Mm-hmm. Yeah, indeed. So the most, even the most direct effect that it could have, because the measures were basically supposed to allow farmers to use more land to grow grain, wheat uh, on it instead of using it for environmental purposes. But the area and the production for cereals actually decreased instead of increasing. So even in the most direct way, there was no effect. 
And this is not not just me saying it, uh, making the connection is the commission itself who says in the report, despite despite the derogations, there was this decrease. So uh, yeah, it's quite uh, quite revealing. It's, it's not our interpretation. Right? It's the commission's <laughs> report. This is like you know word for word. I mean, it's interesting. Perhaps there should have been some kind of dare I say it impact assessment oh. <laughs> about these derogations before they were implemented isn't there isn't everyone always want an impact assessment for everything for everything cell? yeah so where was the impact assessment <laughs> controversial yeah. no but also it, I think it's a valid question no it's a super valid question. if you're going to do something if you're going to make a change like this oh, you oh. have to back it up like how what's the impact it's actually going to have which is also the main argument of uh, from the Timmermans side, because mm. uh, Timmermans was basically saying, uh, we don't know if this uh, allowing this derogation will actually have an impact on the production and conversely on uh, fixing the supply issue at the global level. Because, I mean, this, um, this is supposed to fill the gap mm. uh, created by the full-scale invasion of Ukraine, of course, we know that Ukraine is one of the major um, foodstuff producers, maize, mm. uh, uh, grain, uh, oil, uh, sunflower uh, oil, mm -hmm. sunflower seeds oil. So, um, yeah, it, it, it also makes, makes us thinking whether the action of the EU in um, uh, providing food security at the global level is actually efficient. Ooh. Yeah, this is today. Opening some big questions wow. today. I mean, just to throw in a balancing point in this uh, outlook, actually, well, the Commission titled this outlook or presented it as uh, the EU continues to play its part to contributing to global food security. And the argument they make for this is that uh, exports are actually set to grow grain exports despite the um, decreasing yields. Um, and this is because there were actually some stocks left from before and the ending stocks, they're called, uh, that can still be exported. So exports are actually uh, still expected to increase. And therefore, the commission says that uh, the EU actually is contrib contributing to uh, global food security. It's just that the derogations didn't help in doing that. I guess that. the stocks will only last so long, though, won't they? Yeah. The bright <laughs> side, the, the full of grass. Yeah. No, anyway, it's a very interesting article. And so I invite you all to check it out on Uraxiv. So this week, we've decided to do a deep dive into the farmers' protests that have been going on in the Netherlands. They've been ongoing for months. So what is going on? So um, in the Netherlands, the current situation is quite unclear. So there's a lot of unrest among farmers because there's insecurity about the national nitrogen policy. So that's Iris Bowers. She's a Dutch farmer who's previously also been involved in EU policy work. The highest judge in the Netherlands um, actually ruled a few years ago already that our Natura 2000 areas are not well protected, not protected enough, I must say. And um, specifically, also pointing at the agricultural sector to be a, a, a to uh, be a big source of um, well the nitrogen deposition that is going on. So um, the nature quality uh, seems not to be um, good enough, and farmers feel blamed for it. Iris explained that many Dutch farmers feel attacked by the plants. 
they do have an impact on the nature quality, uh, but they also feel, well, attacked, I must say, because um, the government and also um, some NGOs are mostly looking at farmers, while obviously there are many businesses having a major impact on um, Natura 2000 areas. And I must say the government has not uh, presented clear perspective um, so offering some solutions, but not the perspective for farmers who actually would like to continue farming. For Iris, the current proposals on the table give no hope to the next generation of farmers. There have been quite some proposals um, to, well, buy out farmers uh, that are maybe older or not interested in pursuing their uh, farming activities. But no perspective really has been found um, or offered to those uh, young people would like to start farming or farmers that are just very innovative and would like to continue their farm. So farmers feel very much unheard and they're worried because the government is not offering the clear solutions. Asked about the farmers' response, Ariel Brunner, who is the Deputy Director for BirdLife in the European Central Asia region, had this to say. We have agricultural policies that are locking farmers into ecologically disastrous practices uh, and those practices will need to stop simply because the, the crisis, the ecological and, and climate crisis is becoming bigger and bigger. For Ariel, the problem has arisen from years of what he calls a dereliction of duty by national governments in the EU. The major uh, source of nitrogen emissions uh, is farming. Uh, in the Netherlands and, and overall in Europe. Now, of course, we have other sources of pollution and we need to tackle all the sources of pollution, but uh, the problem doesn't go away simply by pointing to, to other sectors. But what about the speed of change? Has the Dutch government been too hasty here? Well, Ariel certainly doesn't think so. Well, the time for doing it was, uh, you know, decades ago when we've adopted uh, the Habitats Directive and the Nitrates Directive. Uh, we have wasted 20 years where we could have helped farmers change um, and the window of opportunity is closing and the change will become more and more painful the longer we wait. Likewise, for Jeroen Kander, who is an Associate Professor of Food and Agricultural Policy at the Netherlands Verhanigen University, the Dutch government has let farmers down by dragging its feet over the years. There have been these long warnings, but, but government has always, uh, I think, favoured short-term economic interest uh, in, in the agricultural sector over these longer-term environmental concerns and, and, and basically been, been telling farmers, well, uh, you can continue expanding your stables, uh, you can continue to, to innovate, uh, this, this, this will be enough to, to deal with these environmental pressures, you don't need to take any measures at the source. And, and well, uh, very understandably, farmers are very, very upset about the draconic measures that, are, that, that now need to be taken in order to comply with, with this court decision and, and uh, as well as uh, with, with, with EU legislation. So this week, a specially appointed mediator, Johan Remkes, came forward with his advice for the situation. So what did he have to say? He had a very, you could say, a shopping list of advices. But I think the main thing is that he uh, advised to for, uh, forcibly buy out farmers and, and, and then especially the, the, the biggest emitters close to uh, Natura 2000 areas. Uh, within a year, um, and and he also blamed the government for its poor communication uh, over over the last year. So he said, "Well, you've basically 
allowed farmers to expand for years uh, and now suddenly uh, you need to take very drastic measures and it's very understandable that that farmers are very upset about that. In practice, this would see the government buying out around 500 to 600 of the largest emitters around the Natura areas, a move which farmers have lambasted as an attack on their way of life. Also interestingly for Jérôme, the experience in the Netherlands has wider implications for the future of the Green Deal and how its ambitions play out in the EU. I think this whole nitrogen crisis is only a start of a much longer and and deeper transition process uh, that we've only very recently uh, started discussing. I think it will be interesting to see how this nitrogen crisis will uh, will be be followed up. Uh, and in that sense, I think the Netherlands is also a very interesting experimentation ground for for these big questions about okay, how can we really make sure that 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 agriculture, the food system, um, will will be aligned with uh, uh, with with these environmental objectives in in the future. So to 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 overcome this uh, this current dichotomy between the two. As well as this new advice, the Netherlands also had another development this week with the appointment of a new agricultural minister. But he has a tough job ahead of him. Well, I I definitely don't envy him. I mean, it's a very difficult position to be in. There's a new minister uh, from the same party uh, who doesn't have a background in agriculture. He's not very well known. Um, and, And he won't have any time to get used to the job because now immediately he will have to implement these uh, these advices that came out this week. And in the meantime, uh, some farmer groups already announced that they disagree with these advices that will continue their protests. It's still very sensitive within the coalition. So this is really one of the main cleavages uh, between the coalition parties. So it's def- definitely a very difficult political uh, landscape to operate in. So what would Iris, the young Dutch farmer we heard at the beginning of this segment, have to say to the minister if she had the chance? I personally really hope that uh, the minister will take to, uh, into account um, the specific needs of young farmers, not just because I am one of them, but mainly because uh, those are the people who have to provide us with food in future. Uh, those people who are struggling the most, I would say, at this point, uh, who will handle all the ambitions also when it comes to climate, animal welfare, water, soil, health. Um, so, yeah, I really hope uh, the minister opens his uh, eyes and ears and uh, re- really will speak and visit young farmers to see where, um, well, the, di- the best direction is uh, to go. So that's all from us this week. And this week, the Active Agri-Food podcast was produced by Active's Agri-Food team. That's Gerardo Fortuna, Julia Dam and Natasha Foote with the technical support of Malta Ketterson. This podcast is also available on all major streaming platforms, including Apple, Amazon, Spotify and Stitcher. And be sure to subscribe to our newsletter so you don't miss the latest agricultural news from the EU. I'm Gerardo Fortuna. Thanks for listening and see you next week.